I'm so excited to be able to speak to you today. I feel like I want to cry and laugh um, and like shout all at once, which just means that like I have a lot of adrenaline flowing because this is going to be a good word. Um, and it's a word I think that is very appropriate for the season that we're in because since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about the foundations of our faith. We've been talking about prayer and communion and worship and the first commandment. Um, and all of these things point to one thing. There's only one reason why we would come to worship God. Only one reason why we would pray. Only one reason why we would share in communion with one another. And that's because we're living for the glory of God. God has called us to be a consecrated people who are living for his glory. And that is something that we get to learn about for our entire lives. Like it will never, ever, 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 ever end. But um, yeah, that's what I'm going to preach about today. So we're going to talk about living for the glory of God and consecration. And it's from a passage that all of us know so well that you probably wouldn't even have to open your Bibles for it. But you're going to open your Bibles anyway and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. People all around the world know this. Christians, non-Christians, um, people in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a very, very common verse that gets prayed. <clears throat> and it goes like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a really, really so common to us that we can actually breeze through this without even thinking about what it means. And when we do come to this, we often focus on two parts. We focus on our Father, or we focus on your kingdom come. And we go, okay, our Father, like I am a child of God. God has brought me into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ. I belong to him. He loves me. I'm in relationship with him. And that is true. That is the foundation of why we're even exhorted to pray this prayer. It's a beautiful thing. And when we think of your kingdom come, we often think of, you know, justice, um, compassion, righteousness on the earth, or healing and miracles, um, what Jesus did when he was here and living that life. But today I actually want to focus on what's in the middle of that, which says, hallowed be thy name. We like breeze past this, like hallowed be thy name. And sometimes we think like, okay, hallowed be thy name. It just means God that your name is great and like incomprehensible. It's so beautiful, so amazing. Just hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy and magnificent. That this is actually, it's more than that. It's not just a declaration or a reminder to ourselves that God's name is great and holy. It's also uh, a prayer of submission and a request for ourselves about the holiness of God's name. And the reason this is, is because it's actually from a Jewish prayer called the Kaddish, and I'm not going to read in Hebrew for you, but it sounds beautiful. Um, and this prayer is almost exactly the same. The first, like, three verses are exactly the same as the Kaddish in the Lord's Prayer. And when this prayer gets prayed by the Jews or by Israel, it gets prayed at the end of a study session or at a time of mourning or um, at a time of worship or a time of prayer. And it's like a a ritual prayer that gets prayed multiple times a day. And the whole purpose for praying the prayer is so that God's would, name would be magnified in the earth, but in our lives. And it has this 
perspective of God, magnify your name, make your name holy through my life and through this world. Would you come and teach me how to depend on you so that your name would be holy? Would you rid me of myself so that your name would be holy? And it's a, it's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of God asking him, uh, asking him to magnify himself. And so let's start by talking about the word holiness. What is holiness? Oftentimes we equate it with purity. We equate it with um, perfection. And th- that's true because God is perfect. He is pure. But holiness is more than that. It's complete otherness. It's wholly set apart, unlike anything else. Completely incomprehensible, like impossible to imagine. Like, not earthly. Anything that you have known of God on earth is only just a small part of who he actually is. It's only just a tiny taste of the ultimate reality of who he is. And so when we say God is holy, we're saying you are beyond. You're completely beyond. Anything I can imagine, anything I can express. And so holiness is this idea that there is so much more to have of knowing God's holiness our entire lives. And it's the central character of God throughout Scripture. Like, it's the central character trait of God throughout Scripture, that God is holy, that God is holy. And the reason this gets emphasized throughout Scripture is because of the plan that God has from the beginning. So, right? You're with me in Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve. And his whole purpose in creating man is to demonstrate his glory in a loving relationship with them. So he creates Adam and Eve, and then they choose to do things in their own way, and so their relationship is broken. Now they can't draw near to him. What's the reason that they can't draw near to him? Because of sin, which means that they've been, um, they've fallen, they're not in perfection anymore, but God is perfect. So you can't unite an imperfect thing with a perfect thing. They're just, it's incompatible, right? And so, like, we become aware of God's holiness because they're not able to enter his presence anymore. But then, God, who's like, the whole point of your creation was to dwell with you. The whole point of creation was so that we could live in loving relationship with each other. And so he calls his people to be holy in the Old Testament so that they can have relationship with him. He says, Here are these rituals, here are these prayers, here are these ways of worship in which you can draw near to me. But they require you to be holy because I am holy. Therefore, be holy. Not be holy so that you can demonstrate your holiness. Not be holy so that you can prove yourself spiritual or religious. But be holy because the whole point is that you can draw near to me. But obviously it fails because none of us are you know, good at that. (laughs) It's terrible. We're all terrible, like sinners. And so the next thing that happens is that Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, I have a permanent solution for this. I will be a holy and perfect person on earth, and I'll give you my track record. Like, I'll take the test for you, perfect exam. It will be yours. That way you will be holy and able to come into the presence of God. And now we have a solution to the problem. And so when we receive Jesus and we take faith and we say, yes, I believe that Jesus lived and died on my behalf. Now we have holiness. And the whole point is we get to come into the presence of God again. We get to draw near. But at the same time, we still have this problem that the Israelites had. 
We still walk away. We have Jesus. We're now holy because of him. We can have the opportunity to draw into the presence of God. And yet we choose not to still. We do. And then we don't. And then we do some more. But then we don't. And we do some more. And it's like this kind of like, like back and forth. Like, <laughs> um, And so... But God is in heaven going, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to continue to speak my promises over you, to draw you near in love, because the whole point is for you to be near. The whole point is for you to be near. And so he's never going to give up on us because he loves us to that extent. And then at the end of the story, at the end of the story, you have not just a garden where God can be with us and we can be near, not just a tabernacle and a temple where rules must be followed for us to draw near, not just the Holy Spirit who enables us to come into God's presence, but then you have the fullness of God's presence covering the earth like the waters cover the sea, where he is our light. There's no sun, there's no moon, no stars, because he's our perfect light and it's completely perfection of dwelling with him. No more exiting his presence, but just complete perfection of dwelling with him and this is the whole plan of the story that god is writing this redemption story so that we can dwell with him and be with him forever and this is why god calls us to holiness to dwell with him forever and so i want to talk about why and how we approach holiness why why holiness and how holiness so the first thing about why holiness is that god is good he's worthy of our trust he's worthy of our time he's worthy of our affection he's demonstrated his love for us in jesus christ dying on a cross to come near to us but more than that he is God. He's completely sovereign. He created the whole earth and only he created the earth, right? So everything is through him and for him. So even if there was no one on the earth who wanted to worship God, he would still be worthy of our affection. And so that's the basic foundation of why. And the second thing is that this amazing God, this amazing person who loves us and is worthy of worship is only able to be known through relationship and since relationship is only possible through holiness if we want to grow closer in relationship with god and i think that's something we all want we're all here today because something in our lives has told us that god is good something in our lives has testified to us that he's worth drawing near to so we all came here today to draw closer to god and so if that's the purpose and Relationship is the way that happens. Holiness has to come in partnership with it. But the how is very difficult. The how is difficult. There are certain things in our lives that we feel like we'll never get over. Certain habits, certain sin patterns, certain ways of thinking that we feel like are impossible to overcome. certain enjoyments and pleasures of the world that are too good to give up where it just seems like there just seems no point to give up something good in order to pursue god 
Why fast? Why would I give up a good meal? Why would I give up, you know, a day or two days of fasting in order to know the Lord better? Or why pray? When I'm tired at the end of the day and all I want to do is relax and go home and, and sleep, why, why spend the time in prayer? And that's like, that's just our normal state of being. It's hard to create the discipline in our lives to, to want those things because of the pleasures of the world. And so how do we, how do we overcome this? How do we, how do we put our trust in God that holiness is worth pursuing? That this prayer that has, God has created to be our daily prayer. He's created this to be our daily prayer is to say, God, hallowed be thy name. Make your name holy on earth as it is in heaven. Make your name holy on earth as it is in heaven in my life. And then through my life, communicate that holiness to the people around me. Communicate your worthiness to the people around me. The first thing is to understand that God is working even as we are working. So holiness, as we look through like the whole New Testament, it begins with um, God working in us to will and to want the things that he, he wants. It begins with him and his um, divine pleasure calling us close to him and working in us by his Holy Spirit to give us power to want the things that he wants. And by that, we're able to apply our own work and our own effort. But most of the time in our day and age today, we put too much emphasis on that side of the equation. That God is working in me towards his will that he's faithful and calling me close, and therefore, I don't have to put in as much effort on my part. There's grace, so that if I don't draw near, there's still grace to cover. Um, there's still grace to cover me, and it, it creates this kind of sense of apathy. I don't know if you've ever felt that apathy. I certainly have, where I, it's like, oh, like I, I could draw near to God, but God will draw near to me. So I don't have to put in the effort. Or I could draw near to God, but I could draw near to God tomorrow. And God's got me until then. And so we, we kind of, we can, in certain seasons, especially when things are hard, we can live in a state of apathy where we say, yeah, it's, it's not worth the investment. But what's interesting is that it's because God is working in us that it is worth the investment. Because he's working in us, we know that our time isn't a waste. It's because he's guaranteeing the final result of drawing us near that when we put in the investment, we're not wasting our time. We're not wasting our actions or our words. Because he's the one who responds. He's the one who brings to completion. He's the one who brings to fullness. So anything we do, even in the smallest bit, even in the weakest bit of our being to try to love God, worship God, draw near to God, God says yes and amen to and uses and brings us close. And so the first part of drawing near to God and understanding holiness in our daily day-to-day -day prayer of like, God, hallowed be thy name. Let your holiness work in my life to draw me close to you is this idea of, I can trust that everything I do to draw near to you is not a waste. And the second thing is, that 
Drawing near to God in holiness is like a process of upgrading something. Sometimes we think that holiness is like adding on to our lives something. That we have to add on uh, some like good things. And we continue to live our life the way we're living, but we have to add extra stuff on. Like um, we have to add on more time for prayer. We have to add on more time of worship or add on more time for meditation. Um, but it's much more like a process of we let go of something so that we can have time to do those things. It's like, well, I could watch 30 minutes less TV to add time for prayer, but we can't have it all. There's an aspect of us that wants it all. We want to be satisfied in our flesh and satisfied in the Lord, but it doesn't work that way. It never works that way. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, it never works that way. And so there has to be this willingness to let something go. And it's only God who can tell us what it is that we have to let go. Because we all have different processes. I've been a college pastor for two years, but I've been working in college ministry for more than four years now. And college students tend to have the same types of problems. They tend to have struggles about their future, or they tend to have issues with their parents, um, peer pressure and struggles at school. But even though they tend to have the same types of problems, the solution to their problems is never the same. I never sit down with someone and tell them exactly what I told a former student who had the same issue. Never. I've never had that happen. Even if the principles and the truth that needs to be applied to the situation is the same, whether it's repentance or knowing the Father's love or um, pursuing purity in a certain area, the way it gets applied, never the same. Because their personality is different. Their timing is different. The history is different. The stress and the, the way their life is at the moment is different. And so God has this like unique process. And so we can't go, all right, person to my right is doing this to pursue holiness with God. So therefore, I should do that to pursue holiness with God. It doesn't work like that. It, like you can't compare your walk to someone else's walk. You can't apply the same principles. This person is pursuing God in this way because they desire to know more of him. They want to live a life that loves him fully. Okay, I can be inspired by that and then ask the Lord, first task of replacement in my life, what needs to go so that I can add on? And it's funny because when that happens, we start to encounter a ton of obstacles. Now, this example that I'm about to give is something that I thought I would never, ever, in a million years, give as an example. Like, even six months ago, I was like, that would never happen. But how many of you know the game, like, Legend of Zelda? (laughs) All right. And then some of you might know the latest edition of the game, which is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Right? Okay. So I'm not a video gamer. I have never played video games. But I live with a gamer who is Stella Lee, and she's awesome. (laughs) And so Stella Lee was playing this game in our living room one night, and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. (laughs) You get to, like, cook food, and, like, you, like, fight these little bad guys, and, like, I was like, wow, this seems like, this actually seems like fun. (laughs) Because previously, I was like, there's no way that could ever be fun. 
then I, she was like, one day she was like, hey, do you want to try? Because I would always watch her play it. Like, I just couldn't help it. I just watched her play. She's like, do you want to try? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Thinking like, oh, I'll play it for one day and like, I'll have had enough and that will be it. But I played it and I was like, this is worth playing more. <laughs> And so it became my new recreational activity. It was like, I'm going to play Legend of Zelda. But as I play Legend of Zelda, I realized that God was speaking to me a lot about life through it. <laughs> and I know this seems crazy, right? But, <laughs> but it's true. There's a lot that you can learn from the Legend of Zelda about life. Okay? And this is why. <laughs> There's one main quest okay, which is to save the princess. <laughs> and Stella says that I'm really bad at pursuing that quest. And that is our main quest, food, and like, enjoy that. All right, okay, first lesson from that is that our main quest is to love God and glorify him and be with him forever. But we occupy ourselves with stuff like eating food, <laughs> watching movies. Anyway, you know, that's good in, in small amounts. But if you spend the whole game cooking food... <laughs> You'll never get where you're going, which is my problem, okay? All right. Then the next thing I learned is that you have the main quest, which is to save the princess, but then you have four other minor quests where you have to defeat these kind of, like, bosses. Yes? Thank you, Stella. Okay, bosses. <laughs> Still learning the terminology, right? So there are four bosses that you have to defeat before you get to the end. And you can kind of say that that's like um, your stages of life, right? The first one's easy. The next one's harder. The next one's harder. The last one is really hard. Okay, we all have stages of life that we have to go to, certain challenges of spiritual maturation or emotional maturation that we have to make it through before we get our next assignment, right? You might spend 10 years in Korea where you're learning one thing and God is transforming you and he'll send you somewhere else. You go into another season where God is training you and transforming you and drawing you close. Now, that's all well and good. And I thought when I started this game, that I would just very happily hop, skip my way to the first, like, you know, the first boss, do it, and then be like, all right, second boss. But that's not what happens. You're happily traveling down this little road, and then there are, like, little monsters who, like, pop out at you. They're like, rah! And you're like, oh, my God! <laughs> at least that's what I do. And so then you have to constantly fight these distractions that are coming into your way. You've determined that you're going somewhere but then there's this distraction or there's like another minor task that has to be completed and so like it takes you a lot longer to get where you're going than you think it should take and for us when we're trying to grow intimacy with god sometimes we feel stuck and it's taking a lot longer than it should be taking and for that it's not like a game where it's super entertaining, you know? <laughs> so with tempting to give up and to just stay where we are, to go back to cooking food in our little area, you know, and just satisfying temporary, you know, delight and need rather than continuing to persist through, right? And then the second thing is when you fight those little distractions, you obviously have a sword, right? And we also have a sword, which is the word of God. Now, when you start the game, you have this rusty sword. <laughs> it's, like, really lame. And it breaks after, like, three swings. And you're like, crap, <laughs> what do I do? Right? And so you have to collect new weapons throughout the game. But the thing is, you can only hold so many weapons at one time. So you have a certain amount of weapons, like, let's say ten weapons. But then 
if you find a new weapon that's better than the rest of the weapons, you have to let a weapon go in order to take the weapon. And I find this very difficult. <laughs> and I'll explain why. It's because when I let go of a weapon, I feel like I'm losing something really good. Like so far, that weapon has been really good to me. And I've depended on it and trusted in it. But now I need a new one. And it's just kind of like, I think I could last with what I have. I think I could make it further just with what I have. But the truth is, the bosses and other enemies that I'm going to encounter are going to get stronger. And I'm not going to last with what I have. And that is true of our lives as well. We think that what we have is good enough, but it's not going to be good enough forever. What we have of God is good, but there's so much more. And to fight the challenges and trials that God is going to bring us through in order to draw us closer to himself, to meet the ultimate goal, we've got to learn to let go of things and take on better things. Strengthen ourselves in the word and find the value of that. All right, so... <clears throat> We're still like on our way to completing this, right? And then as you, as you, I don't know, these tasks, you're gaining skills and you're also like gaining, I don't know, treasure. There's like treasure that you get and stuff. So you're kind of accumulating wealth. But then guess what happens to all the money that you, you acquire? You have to constantly spend it all. There's no permanence of keeping anything. You're constantly, like, things are constantly breaking that you have to get rid of. You're constantly spending the money that you acquire. And unfortunately, that is true of our life as well. We spend so much time trying to acquire things that are going to break, that are going to be lost, that aren't going to last eternally. And we have, like, but yet we seem to be so satisfied by those things, so happy in those things, that we just keep hoarding them. <laughs> as if it's going to do some good for us. But the truth is, we have to let them go. We have to use them for the purposes that God has given them to us for, in generosity to others, to do justice, to show compassion, whether it's our time that we're trying to keep to ourselves, or whether it's money that we're trying to keep to ourselves, or possessions of some kind. And so that was the other thing that I learned from buying The Legend of Zelda. And then... The truth is that after all of these things of like playing Legend of Zelda and like learning all these things, there's still something, I got like so much revelation out of this game, but still there's part of me that doesn't want to commit to it. And Stella is still asking me if I'm ever going to save the princess. <laughs> and the truth is that I want to, but it's taking me a long time to get there. And I'm doing the game much differently in a much different way than she was. But the nice thing about playing this game is that I have Stella, who's constantly reminding me that I need to save the princess. <laughs> She's constantly, constantly reminding me that I need to save the princess. And you know what? This is true of our Christian walks. We will never progress forward in faith to pursue God unless we have other Christians there reminding us to do it. Calling us out of the place of complacency that we're in where we've been stuck and kind of just roaming around and been satisfied with our little area. We need the body of Christ to exhort us to holiness, to exhort us to pursue God, to exhort us to find something better 
in intimacy with him than we had before. To discover that though moving on is hard and has lots of challenges, but it's worth moving on. It's worth the challenges. So life is like Legend of Zelda. There you go. (laughs) Um, But this is a corporate process. Pursuing holiness is a corporate process where we learn to challenge each other and say, hey, I noticed these days that you've been really down and you've just been like watching TV a lot because you've been down. I feel like there's a lot better for you. How can I help you? Not telling them, you need to stop watching TV and read your Bible. Maybe that's not what they need. Maybe they need a friend to listen to them. Maybe they need to start doing something that brings them life, like a hobby, that creative hobby or something like that. We're not there to be like, hey, you should be doing this. But out of concern, because we want them to draw close to the Lord and experience better and to be able to grow into fullness and experience life once again, we go, how can I help you? And listen, and then be there for them to help them in the way that they've told us. And that that's the Christian walk. And there's many times, I think, where if we actually went to God, he would say the same thing. How can I help you? He knows the plan that I have for life. If we say, God, I don't know what to do. I need you to be there for me. And if we just imagine him saying, how can I help you? Then we would have the words to pray for the season that we're in. That we'd know the things to let go of and the things to add on. That we would be able to walk the journey in the direction that he's leading us. And so there's this aspect of trusting God, trusting that he's good, trusting that he's in control of the process, trusting that he will complete everything that we invest in, that nothing goes to waste. But there's also this process of obeying him, obeying his commands to fast and pray, obeying his commands for worship and compassion, to do justice on the earth, to, to waste ourselves, to spend our lives, to sacrifice our time and our money on behalf of others, so that his holiness, his goodness would be known, so the kingdom would come to fruition. And that there's that part of obedience as well. But it's absolutely impossible without the corporate love and encouragement of one another. Sometimes we get complacent with the way, the status quo. No one around me is really exhorting everyone to live holy. So I feel like I don't really need to exhort people to live holy either. Maybe we're okay like this. And we'll all kind of feel move of the Holy Spirit at some point, and we'll just take off. But there's a need for us to, someone, to break the status quo and go, hey, let's pursue God more. Let's fast together. Let's pray together. Let's read the word together. And this corporate faithfulness, this corporate devotion. Hmm. And so one thing that's an encouragement that I like to give is as we take inventory of our life, as we ask the Lord how to move forward, as we seek motivation to do this, to pursue the holiness of God, to be part of his story where we're becoming closer and closer and closer and closer to him, is to ask ourselves, what used to interest you and take up your time that no longer interests you because you know the Lord? That already is progress in your story and intimacy that God himself has worked out. And the next thing is, can you imagine what has interest in your life right now that might not bear interest for you in the future? If God has already done it, 
he'll do it again and again and again in this upgrading process where we continue to trade what's good for what's better. Temporary pleasures for eternal pleasures. Mm. Some of the ways we do this, the word and meditation, prayer, worship, witnessing to others about what God has done, fellowship with other Christians, and exercising self-control. But in the hardest moments, when we can't do those things, we have to remember that we had a God who loved us first anyway. And that he's the one who has intended to be with us and still intends to be with us. And that his holiness is, although it's part of his character, it also demonstrates his very holy love, which is unlike any other. Which is, I I never give up on you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you kind of love. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That if we simply were to ask God, God, revive my heart, I have no willpower to do it on my own. I get lost and confused all the time. I don't know how to weigh what's good and what's better in the moment. Surround me with community. Teach me, teach me, God. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Teach me how to hallow your name above everything else. We'll find that God will directly answer that prayer. And in doing that, we submit to his perfect rule, his perfect leadership, his perfect love. And to live in a reality of his presence that increasingly gets better and better. So that's all I have today. That's it. But it's a, it's not an it kind of message. It's not today. And this is it. This is tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. This is our entire life. All of life is holiness before God. Knowing that he's holy and better than everything else. Allowing him, us, allowing him to teach us that. Allowing him to draw us into that. Allowing him to corporately lead us in a life of holiness that is life-giving and good to us, but also good to those around us.